Welcome to the Go All In podcast. I'm your host, Robert Bruss, and I'm proud to be bringing you these stories of everyday heroes from Sydney, Australia. Today on the show, our guest is Cameron Schwab from Design CEO. Before we settle into the show today, if you're a first-time listener to the podcast, thank you for joining us. I know you're absolutely going to love Cameron's story of doing whatever it takes. And if you're a return listener to the Go All In show, welcome back. It's great to have you back here. Make sure before we begin, you just speak at your phone quickly and hit that subscribe button on the app that you're listening in on. That way you'll never miss an episode. You'll always have some inspiration in your pocket every couple of days. And if you're watching this video on YouTube, don't forget to scroll down and hit the subscribe button there and ring that bell. That way you'll never miss an episode on YouTube either. One last thing, if you like what you hear today, please share this episode with your friends and your family. I don't make any money out of this podcast. In fact, there's no sponsors. I don't have any sponsorship on this show whatsoever. I don't like that. I don't want to break the flow of an interview and upset people with ads or anything like that. But what I would ask in return is that Cam's got an inspiring story that I'm about to share with you. And if we can just help one person break through their perceived barriers the same way Cam did, then that can only be a good thing. So let's share that around. Let's share this show far and wide and get this into the ears of the people that need to hear it. All righty, let's get into the show today with Cam. As you'll know, sport is an integral part of Australian society and culture. Whether you follow the AFL, NRL, rugby, netball, soccer, or something else, there is no doubt at some point in your youth that you played your favorite sport and maybe even aspired to play in the big league. As a kid, I grew up here in Sydney playing NRL, and I even played a couple of games for the Bulldogs in the first year of reps that you do, uh, and that's in under-15s. I remember that. It, was a, it had a really big impact in my life, pulling on a, a Bulldogs jersey, and I felt like I was part of a team. It was, it was cool. It, it didn't just solidify my love of NRL, but for sport in general. And it gave me a really good understanding and an insight to what it would take to actually be successful in sport. And it's hard. Our guest today has been at the very heart of AFL for more than 30 years. And if you recognized his name as an AFL fan, you'd know Schwabby as the CEO of Richmond, the CEO of Fremantle, the CEO of Melbourne, and also the CEO of the AFL. Cam has had more experience than most in not only leading teams on the field, but running successful footy clubs. Some would argue that AFL is at the very heart of Victorian culture. And I think you can see that from just how many people turn out to the AFL games every weekend. So it was really, really great to sit down with Cam and hear about his experiences as an insider of something so many people are so passionate about. Post-AFL, Cam shares his experiences as a CEO with CEOs and aspiring leaders. And in his words, he enables courageous, confident, and creative leaders. I'm excited he's here, so please help me in welcoming Cameron Schwab. Cameron Schwab, welcome to the Goal In Podcast. It's great to have you here. 
Now, I'm looking forward to this. I've, um, I've been following your form. I think you're in pretty good form at the moment. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what, I can, uh, what you can drag out of me and perhaps I might be able to do a little bit of likewise. Yeah, that's going to be a little bit of fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to the, the sports theme of the podcast. Yeah. I've done a, a few yeah. military ones recently and a, and a couple of uh, corporate style leadership ones. So I'm looking forward to getting the, the sporting side of it. But before we get into the go all in mindset and your view of that world, let's get to know you a little little bit for the people that don't know you why don't you tell us a little bit about where you're from and your background yeah my background pretty much is um probably better known for grew up in in the australian football league i was a uh, a 30-year person in in the afl with three afl clubs melbourne richmond and uh, Fremantle. i spent uh, of those 35 30 years working in sport i spent 25 years as a ceo so it's, it's quite unusual i was a ceo when i was 24 of the richmond football club so that was a um Perhaps a um, not by design, by by circumstance, situation, and an upbringing. Probably as much as anything, found myself in in that role, and and probably spent uh, most of that time in the high performance world, working in clubs. Which, for one reason or another, I found myself taking on roles with clubs in crisis, both on and off the field, and and generally they they tend to work together, and. Uh, People often ask, how come you always took the CEO roles of the organisations in crisis? Well, the blunt answer to that is they're the ones looking for CEOs. So it was pretty much how <laughs> it played out. And yeah, yeah, it was uh, just part of the deal. And, and, and look, I think whilst it was never, it's something you don't know that is, that it's something you're going to enjoy until such time as you find yourself in, in that space. I think it was something I probably, even with the power of reflection now, look back on as being a unique opportunity because you're going into organisations which have, by their circumstances, recognised the need for change. And and often, if you're if you're if you're mid rung in in any organisation, whether it's sport, whether it's business, uh, it's very hard to explain the need for change. Whereas if you're sitting on the bottom and you're going broke, well, at least there's a bit of a burning platform for you. And mm-hmm. and uh, and probably in one way or another became built good experience in, in, in being able to um, handle those situations. Mm-hmm. And, and tell me, growing up in Victoria, did you obviously played AFL, right? Yeah, played the sport. I, didn't, uh, I grew up in a, a football family. My, my father, Alan Schwab, was um, back in the day they were known as the secretary of the football clubs and, uh, and I quite like that. We've, we've gone through title inflation, haven't we, where, <laughs> where we've got to keep coming up with a, a better title all the time. But what a, what a secretary became general manager then became CEO and but to even as a even as a young person growing up in the suburbs of Melbourne and I, I grew up in a suburb Mount Waverley and in those days the football clubs were all zoned to uh, to certain areas or areas were zoned to football clubs so if you grew up in Mount Waverley you played for Richmond and mm-hmm. so by extension of that majority of the people in that those areas would then support that club because they'd seen you know people from their neighborhood go and play for that club and that like uh, there was a big suburban sprawl in Melbourne, like most parts of Australia during that period of time. And the suburb of Richmond, which is a densely populated suburb, all found their way out into um, Mount Waverley and Waverley and those sorts of areas. And um, I grew up with my father being the secretary. And I, I also had this, this situation of waking up at least three or four times when I was a young fellow to turn on the Thunderbirds on a Sunday morning and um, they'd been in, in our lounge room or our family room was the, the Premiership Cup, the Richmond Footy Club had won the night before or the day before. So it was a, it was a, a pretty privileged uh, upbringing in the sport. I got a wonderful insight into the game and, uh, and then, and whilst it was never by design again, uh, I found myself 
there was a job halfway through my year 12 year for a, a job as the for the assistant to the football manager the title was at the Melbourne Football Club and I applied for the job and there's no doubt that having the surname Schwab was a pretty powerful element to that and I found myself as an 18 year old working in the game and I'd been working the game for the next uh, 30 years and that's that's how it played out and so it was very much um, privileged upbringing in, in regard to the game but also in regard to the insight that I, I saw probably the, the best and worst of the game even as a young person in, it, in mm. its impact on on people and families and and all the things that it can be for all its ups, it's certainly got, it has a little bit of a weight it carries with it as well. What about as a, as a young teenage boy playing the game at school and whatnot and, and you see these other proper football players around you? I know when I was a kid, I, I grew up in Sydney, so I played NRL. I didn't play AFL. Yeah. Um, but where, where I played footy, it was called the Terry Lamb Complex. And a little bit like what you're describing with Richmond, where I lived was in the Canterbury-Bankstown area. Yeah. So we all followed Canterbury-Bankstown. And Terry Lamb Moore, was Peter, Peter Moore and brand yeah. footy club there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and you know that was a, a big thing. And I remember, um, I think I was about fifteen, and we had this coach come in, and um, he had played for the Bulldogs, and he was yeah. and he was like a prop forward. He was a big, big dude, you know, larger than life Aussie kind of character, and he knew some stuff about football that I just didn't know and I was was, in hindsight looking back he was like a really good influence on me and he was Mm. a great player and we won the competition that year under him and I'd never won another competition before or or after and I remember he was a larger than life character and the fact that he'd played like first grade football was a big thing for me as a as a teenage boy did you have the same sort of experience yeah I did probably because it was part of the everyday uh, I got to see all elements of it, and, and definitely there were there were heroes within it all. And mm. but because also the heroes weren't necessarily the obvious ones in in that way. Because because I was I found myself I worked out as a child that if um, we're, we're normally very aware of this of kids because they're they're loud and they're distracting and they're all the things that kids are great at. But if you actually stay silent, you find yourself privy to conversations perhaps you you, you shouldn't be or, or you're not otherwise they don't know you become invisible really and what would happen in, in my childhood was famous coach of richmond during that period name was tom hafey and tom hafey is one of the all-time great coaches actually coached sydney for for a number of years as, as well and tom would come around to our home or we would go around to his home or my father and tom would meet at the punt road over where richmond trained and i, I might have been 10 or 11 or 12 years of age and because they weren't there what videos of games, that their reflections were from their own memories. And so they're rebuilding the games in their mind. And I'd also watched the game. So I had my own take on what the game was. And because it's fresh in your mind because it was the, the day before, I had my own take on these things. And, and what I quickly learned was that they weren't just talking about the players who were my superheroes. They, they were, in, in fact, talking about you know the kryptonite a little bit you know the, the weaknesses in those guys the yeah. the fact that you know a player might be coming to the end of his career you know and they have to be prepared for that they have to plan for that and where in my mind that player was going to play forever because superman lived <laughs> forever you know that's that's your child mind and also i found that their respect in their conversation for the players who just had wonderful work ethic or were, were humble or were, were just do, they just were great role players. Those conversations became part of my consciousness 
not because of any insight or understanding that I developed, just because I found myself in, in, in those rooms at that time. Mm. And that then stood me in great stead when I then go to the Melbourne Football Club as a, as a young person and Ron Barassi is the coach of Melbourne and Ron Barassi is the biggest name in the game. And, and as much as I was intimidated by Ron, I probably wasn't intimidated in the same way as a 17 or 18-year-old you know, you know, kid from uh, straight out of school would have, would have been and, and, and found myself again in conversations just by situation and circumstances where they were, because my job was prepare the video, prepare the room for the, whatever the match committee meeting was, I'd just sit there and listen. Mm. And um, so I've gone from... Alan Schwab, my father, who is a huge influence in the game, Tom Hafey, one of the all-time great coaches, to Ron Barassi and uh, probably the biggest name the game's ever produced and I'm still 18 years of age. That's, that's how it started. And, and, it's, and probably I think we all have our reflections as to how we end up doing what we do and often, you know, having had my own children end up, you know, coming through the, the choice of career process is that we? It's so much defined by a a circumstance at the time, or in the case of someone who might have got a better mark for the year twelve than they thought. They so they go and do law, or they go and study something, and they don't get to redress that until uh, you know much much later in life. Well, well, I, I mine came through, you know, the the fact that I grew up in this unique environment, which I had a a, a love of the game. I knew that, but I also perhaps found quite early in the piece that I had an insight into the game that others who hadn't grown up in my environment would have had. Yeah, you end up developing a bit of an intuition for it, right? Because you're just around it just by osmosis. You've got that intuition. Yeah, osmosis is a good word, actually, because it is because osmosis, something comes in, something else goes out. You know, yeah. so, so there is a uh, – so there probably, there's probably been times I felt that I was perhaps a little bit one-dimensional. And, it, and then, when it, then when it came to an end, it was, and, it, and it did come to an end, there was – also, the notion of identity came into play really strongly at that time as well. Where, whereas I, I was facing my mortality as a as someone in the workforce, um, I worked thirty years and had to redefine who I was at uh, at an age where um, where I think more and more people are having to do that, but certainly wasn't the decision I was expecting to have to make at that stage of life. Mm, absolutely. So, were you the when you kicked off as the CEO? for the first club there was, were you must have 24 years old? That's young. 24, yeah. So it was at Richmond and Richmond was the club I supported as a kid, as I mentioned. And uh, it was, and my father was then, he'd taken on, he'd gone from Richmond and he then worked as the executive commissioner for the AFL and, and, and was a very respected person in the game. And when I was approached in regard to the role, I, I assumed at the time, cause I was doing recruiting talent ID at the time and, mm-hmm. Uh, I was at Melbourne Football Club with with Ron Barassi and then John Northey, uh, and the club had made the finals for the first time in 23, 24 years, and, and, and I'd played a role in the recruitment of the players. So there was just a little bit of a building understanding of, you know, that there might be a career in the game for me. And I'd started probably to think that at some stage in the next 10, 15, 20 years, I might get an opportunity to be a CEO. And, and I thought it might happen a little bit earlier for me, that opportunity, than it would for others, again, just through my circumstances. And then I'm 24, I was watching a game at, it was at the Junction Oval in St Kilda and a fellow by the name of Paddy Ganane, who was a Richmond board member and ex-Richmond player, tapped me on the shoulder and asked whether I'd be interested in working for the Tigers and I assumed it would be in recruiting. And then he corrected me and said, no, no, we want you to be, the, it was called general manager then, the CEO. 
and you know, I was, you know, I was obviously very chuffed and very excited. But probably there was a big part of me thinking it was way too early. And I, and I was, in terms of my my development, whilst I'd, I'd, I'd only worked six years in my entire life, and I hadn't, I hadn't, I reckon I'd done a paper round. That was about as good as it got before. And I never did a business subject at school because I wasn't that interested in that. You know, my my interest was actually fine art and. And so that, that's probably if I was going to do a course post school, that would be what I would have done, just at least for that period of my life. And and I remember I rang my dad that night, and I remember him. He asked me. My, my father was a wonderful person at answering a question with a question, and he asked me, you know, did I think I could? I was ready for that role, and and I simply said, no, I I don't think I am. You know, I'm really excited that they've offered offered it, and and Richmond was really on its knees at the time as well. It was struggling. And he said, and it was a wonderful question, he asked me if I was being offered the role as CEO of the Essex Heights Football Club, <laughs> which is the junior footy club I played for, would I think I could do that? And I immediately said, well, of course I could. You know, it was like it was a silly question. Mm. And straight away he said, do you think that's an easy job, running the Essex Heights Football Club? And straight away I thought, no, that's not an easy job. Actually, no. <laughs> anyone, anyone who's run a junior club and all the issues, then the complexities, mm. he said, well, it, okay, okay, yes, it is. No, it's not an easy job. And if you go and run Richmond next week, it won't be easy. But if you're running them in 25 years' time, it still won't be easy. It's a never an easy job. Mm. And it was, it was a, and, and, and as it turned out, it never was an easy job. And and I found that out because I got sacked twice as, as CEO, both times by by Melbourne, and had to rebuild my career in both cases. And recognizing that when you when you're in any role where you're required on a day to day basis to make choices on people's lives, and and those obviously career defining, but in the cases of you know young athletes or you know people who are coaching, it's identity defining as well yeah um you know you can never you know the, the, those jobs you, you, you never feel totally comfortable in them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah well so yeah, i was young i was just a, i was just a kid really and i don't and i was late in i was a late onset kid as well so i wasn't um i looked young and and a lot of the players who were playing at richmond at the time were my my childhood heroes they were the, they were the players who you know Six or seven years earlier, they were now veterans, but they were the young stars coming through the system. And one of my favourite moments as a 17-year-old was watching the Tigers win the 1980 Premiership. And then my time at Richmond started in 1988 and those careers were finishing up. So I, I had many of those young, those players who were now veterans in my office you know, having to have a conversation about them finishing up. Mm. That was tough, yeah. Very tough, very tough. Well, I was really excited to have you on the show, Cam, because there's a, there's a lot of parallels between what professional sports teams do and have to deal with and the military and my background in Australian defense forces. That's just one big giant team, right? So let let me ask this, let me ask the signature question. So people come on over to the go all in podcast to learn more about (laughs) others that have gone all in. So if you could Cam, could you please share with us your, your biggest, then there must be a few go all in story or stories and the lessons that you've learned from your commitment to success. Well, I think probably taking a CEO role at 24 was an all-in story. Yeah. And I've explained... I couldn't think of a much bigger one than that, actually. No, no but, I, but I probably... I'll reflect on a couple of things. The, the first one was how you actually judge your own performance as a CEO is a really interesting thing because what you find is that you, you're taking on a role where you assume that you were going to be the boss. That's actually part of it. And then you're reporting to a board, which is six, seven, eight, nine, ten people, <laughs> all of them who may have a different view as to 
you know, what's important and, and what success looks like, even as it relates to your role and, and different facets of it. And then we all have our bias and our ideas as it relates to that. And then also you can't tell the people who are now reporting to you on how to do their jobs. You, you know, you need to teach and coach. And so all of the things that you got you the job are then actually none of the things that actually allow you to succeed in the job. In, <laughs> in that, that's your first instinct. Yeah. And as it turned out, it wasn't. I, I think when, when people often say when they got into CEO roles is they, they didn't know what they didn't know. Whereas I think probably the answer or the question should be you didn't realise what you did know, you know, in that sense. And so I actually had better background in the role than I did because I come from a recruiting background, which is about, you know, strategically putting a team together, building relationships, negotiating deals, dealing with constraints and complexity, all that type of stuff. But I chose not to do any of that because I thought I needed a different game when I when I came in. And it's interesting, your military background, because I think I probably was the first leader very much the control mentality because my peers at that stage were all in their 40s and 50s. Their parents would have been the you know, veterans in, in that they'd gone to war in that way. And that was just the way leadership was done. And I saw coaches who very much led in that way. And it didn't actually, and I tried to be a control and command leader, which I had one, no experience in, and two, it didn't suit who I was anyway. And, mm. and, and to actually try and create a whole new game for yourself, you know, the, the, the old story about building the plane whilst it's in the air type mentality, that very much applied. And, and I was still young and trying to work it out. And at the same time, trying to face up to the fact that our team's going broke and our club's going broke and our team can't win a game. So they're, they're all, all parts of it. So my all-in one, one was that I'm confident that right from the outset, I was prepared to back it up by just simply trying hard. I, th- I think I'd, I'd learnt relatively early in the piece that there's, whilst it's not a, a work ethic is not a competitive advantage, there's a certain ethos that you just have to have if you are if you are going to try and at least survive at that level of competition. And I was able to develop that relatively early in the piece. And then from that point onwards, I knew I had to be uh, build a means and a, and a mechanism by which I could think my way through this in the, in the midst of a very noisy environment where you didn't lack for opinions or you didn't lack for advice. And, and so how you find your own game. And I made a lot of mistakes. I made a lot of mistakes. And I saw this wonderful interview on the weekend, um, with uh, Greg Popovich, the coach of uh, who's coaching the, U- the US team, who got beaten by Australia. It seems extraordinary, but they got beaten by Australia on the weekend. They did, yeah. And Greg, Pop- Greg Popovich, in his media interview after, after they got beaten, he finished up something like, uh, we're a better team than we were at the start of the game because we've now got the knowledge that we've just gained, mm. you know, which is just a way, fantastic way of reflecting on a pretty, would have been a very disappointing loss for them. Mm. And that's probably in some ways, if I talked about a go all in mantra, is how you actually could maintain that type of mentality uh, at the same time as as um, recognising that, you know, we've got a job to do here and we have to do it really well. But the, uh, the, the probably the, the, the thing that we've got in common with a sport and military background is that we spend a lot of time in sport and I assume in the military reflecting on what happened. Mm-hmm. So we build on the learnings of what happened as a critical element of what choices and decisions we make from this point onwards. Whereas my experience, business doesn't do that very often. You know, it, it, it tends to focus on the what now, what next, whereas sport and military focuses on what happened, what now, what next, you know. Yeah, there's a lot of time spent in reflection on, in, you know, uh, 
after action reports and yeah. what, what yeah. happened there, what can we do better? And even in particularly in training, um, we would we would do that a lot and there'd be a lot of time spent in briefing. Yeah. Or you'd go and launch something, you know, particularly in real time. I've done it in real time a couple of times and, yes. you know, s- slow is smooth and smooth is fast. You know, if you're going to have yeah. to go and kick in a door somewhere and do some sort of close quarters clearing like that, it's dangerous stuff, you know, and you've got to make sure that your brief is right. Make sure your rules of engagement are right. Cause once you take the latches off and, and you let the boys yeah. loose on something yeah. like that, yeah. you know, there's a metaphor into the latches. I like that. Once you take the latches off, yeah, I could see how that, yeah. And, and it is that, cause at some stage you have to make a choice too. You have to work out whether we're going in or not, you know, so yeah, you know, you're either in or on. So yeah, even coming back to the original questions was then, was then focused a lot on, you know, how I could confront some of the decisions you then had to take. And like in early days, I was 26 or 27 and um, the coach of uh, – I, I was in a situation where we sacked the coach, you know, who was an icon figure of the club. And and, and, I, and I still think about that regularly, you know, to this mm. day. And, you know, and, and it's something which – it, not career-defining, but certainly is a mark in my history in the sport. And then not long afterwards, we, we made a choice as a football club. We did a thing called the Save Our Skins campaign at Richmond, which effectively saved the club. And, and But to save the club, we had to kill the club. We had to go to our supporters and say, unless we do this, this club's not going to exist anymore. And this is one of the – this is a club which only 10 years earlier had won a premiership and was one of – and is one of the icon clubs of the competition. This is a club which has now got 100,000 members, which, mm. you know, like it's a big, big footy club by, by world standards in that sense. And it was with the president of the club, Neville Crow, who was a wonderful person for me. And we made that choice and the club raised in 1990 dollars about $1.5 million. So that's a lot of money now, basically by just people making donations. And it did save the club. And and, and uh, in 2008, they had the club's centennial and it was recognised as the defining moment of the century for mm-hmm. the club to save our skin. So, and again, that came out, of, I'm, I'm a great believer that out of our constraints come our opportunities and sometimes just being the wealthiest and having the most resources, in fact, is a distraction from, you know, how we go about getting better because you think the answer to the problem is just throwing more more money at the issue or more resources at the issue. But sport by definition is a constrained environment because we have rules which mm-hmm. do constrain us. But also there's wealthier clubs, there's poorer clubs, there's some clubs with better resources, others with worse, all that type of stuff. But the ones, when you're in those situations, the, the constraints, if you're prepared not to just default back to your current thinking all the time, will produce you know, your best opportunities. And, and that was certainly one of those examples, the Save Our Skins campaign at Richmond. I've been reading a little bit of um, uh, the US Marine Doctrine. I've been listening on the Jocko podcast. I mentioned this on the other, uh, on another show recently. And Jocko sits down with his mate, uh, uh, Dave Burke, who was in, in the Marines, and they're reading the document that is given to the, the brand-new Marine officers at uh, boot camp. And so, you know, it's like what the expectation is and, and how to behave and what to do. And the underlying theme of the first half of the document is about imagination. And he, and he says that they don't use the word imagination at boot camp. It's a little bit too fluffy. They use the word creativity. Yeah. And so they have these boundaries. You know, there's, there's a certain way that you call in an airstrike. There's a certain way you call in artillery. But the way that you use that, 
and the way that you use your imagination or your creativity in there that's what makes Marines special and that's what makes Marines win the battles and to do all of those sorts of things. And it was really interesting seeing how that that was the foundation piece of their leadership training was creativity and imagination. I just really, I really love that. And it sounds like you had a bit of creativity there with Save Our Skins. Yeah, no, we did. Yeah. And it was, it's interesting because if if anyone asked you about the Marines, they'd be two of the last words people would yeah. Put to you when they imagination and creativity. Yeah. You'd say, no, it's all rules and regulations and, um, you know, well, you know, we give you a very, and you probably do have a, you know, it's, it's creativity within a framework if you like, but it's, you know, it, but even in, I would say, a performance on the, on the field, the, the, the most powerful players are those who can find creativity in crazy situations, you know, where you go, hey, how did you even think about that in that moment, you know, mm-hmm. that circumstance? And, yeah, no, no, very much. And, and I think the, and because what had happened a few years ago, I, I ended up, when, when I finished in, in football, I ended up studying fine art at uh, the Victorian College of the Arts. And, and so that's all about creativity. It's, uh, it's un, unambiguous in regard to what it's actually about. But even your perceptions of coming into to doing art is you still want to, that what you actually get to create, what you get to make, you want to actually have something which someone says, yeah, I like that. Because we, we grow up our whole life, and particularly now in a, in a, in a social media generation where likes are like a thing, uh, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, and, and real creativity actually means perhaps doing something different to what you've all, already done. And, and that was actually, and, and you're going to put it out there. It's not just creativity in a way where it's just you and your creativity. It's you and your creativity, which is going to end up in a canvas, in an exhibition, or in the stuff that I did at, uh, at the VCA, they did student crits, you know, so you'd put your artwork in front of all the other students and they'd give you feedback on it, you know. Mm. And I'm like a tribal elder there because I'm in my 50s and there's all these 18, 19, 20-year-old kids, you know, you know, from uh, who are pretty free thinkers, I've got to say, who, who, are, who are then looking at the XCA's work and saying, well, and I remember even one of my um, my lecturers, Ishak, he was just a, a just a raff. He was just a wonderful, wonderful artist. But he said to me, "You draw and paint like DER." He said, "You know," and, and it was probably because I'm trying to close out. I'm trying to make it obvious for you. He said, "Well, art's about the conversation you create. It's not about you know closing the conversation. Are you prepared for that? You know." And and that changed everything. And and I now use the learnings from. It's only when you go outside of your environment, you put yourself into a new world that you, you all of a sudden you get a learning which applied to your old world. And, and that's, I use that now in talking to CEOs and, and teaching CEOs about really, do you consider yourself a creative person? And very few people say yes. And then you say, well, let's actually have a bit of a reflection. How good are you at strategy? I'm good at strategy. Well, strategy is pretty creative, you know, so... So it's actually how you then, and I, I have a very systematic process of creativity. It's, uh, and I found that again because the, the, the kids who produced the best art or the most interesting art weren't the kids who were the gifted ones, and there were plenty of those. They were the ones who had really good systems around their, their, their means of creativity and good intention, and they were prepared to go deep. You know, they, they spent as much time in the library as they did in front of their canvases. You know, it was just a, and they, they were going to galleries all the time. They were, they, were, they were always on the lookout. They were having converse, conversations with great artists all the time. They just and, and I found that the what was actually differentiating the the artists in at the Victorian College of the Arts was the same the same attributes that was separating the young athletes that I got to see in the AFL for the previous thirty years. So it was a wonderful learning. Yeah, beautifully said, beautifully articulated, and and nicely nicely said. If there's some leaders out there that are listening to this, maybe there's some young leaders because I know we have a 
a wide ranging audience. And people ask me all the time, Rob, who's the, who's the audience? And I'm like, I'm not really sure because it's a podcast. <laughs> I don't see them, but I see yeah. some feedback. And I, I assume it's the people that uh, like the guests that are on the show and are, are like me that like the subjects that I have and that I talk about. So for the, for the people that are, are listening that might have found themselves as a younger person in their early mid twenties in a leadership role, it sounded like when you went into that first role there, there was a whole lot of conflicting things happening. You know, the club's yeah. going broke, the, you're not winning games. It's like, it's coming at you thick and fast from 20 different directions. If somebody found themselves in that circumstance, in that situation, in their own business or in, in a job, in a leadership position, what would you say would be the way to handle that? How do you, because you don't know what you don't know. And you said that already. It's, it, yeah. You don't know anything about yourself when you're in those circumstances. And some people collapse and they're, they're crushed by the pressure of things like that. Yeah, I call that the the Bermuda Triangle of the two year leader. You know that they two years into their job they're never seen ever again, and and which is crazy because often what's actually happened during that period of time is when you first come into leadership roles, you have a lot of unconscious incompetency, if you like, and yeah. and and then unfortunately there's very few roles in life where you're improving in capability or competency and you're losing confidence, and and that's what happens with leadership that you. You go down like a slippery slope of because um, you've actually come to terms with what you don't know, and 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 you're just hoping like buggery that no one's actually worked out that thing, and because um, at some point someone's going to lose confidence in you, and if if there's a if that's a significant push, well people lose their jobs, and it's very hard to get that opportunity again, and we find that again we have find that a lot with coaches in the AFL or major league sports that. Bill Belichick, the, the famous coach of the New, uh, New England Patriots, was, you know, he, he's a second-time coach. You know, he's not a first-time coach. You know, you know Carroll, you know, the Seahawks, second-time coach. Actually, Belichick replaced him from memory at, um, at the Seahawks. So we, we, we have to recognise the value of that, of that experience. But often in leadership, we don't. So what I would say is that, so in, in, in regard to that, right from the start is, as I mentioned before, you're not going to want for advice. There's not going to be any, there's going to be a lot of noise. And all of that, all of that does is because we're naturally competitive beasts, that's, that's very much in our DNA and people find themselves in leadership roles early. There's probably a bigger part of their DNA find them, to find themselves in that is that we, we're used to racing. And in my experience is that velocity is never the answer for complexity. By going quicker, you, as a leader, all you're doing is confusing yourself, but more particularly, you're confusing those around you as well. So how you actually give yourself the opportunity of, of removing or moving beyond your just your to-do list. And what I say to people is every so often just don't focus on a to-do list. I, I get that action and you need to get stuff done. And if you're going to do stuff, if, you, if, you're, if you're worried about what you should be doing on the to-do list, do the ones which are actually going to have the most impact, for goodness sake, and also the ones you've probably been putting off for about the last six months as well because that will make you feel better about your work. But actually also write down from time to time a to-know list. You know, what, what do you need to know more about now? What, what, what is the learning that you actually need to do to have to be good at the job that you've now taken? Because it's, the chances are the, the expectations of you are very different to the ones that you had in your previous job. But within a short period of time, you'll start to work out where you're at. But also always reflect a little bit on a third list, which I'd call your to-be list. Is, is this really what you want to do, you know? Or you just have you just got caught up in a wave of next opportunity or someone's knocked on your door and like Patty Ganane tapping me on the shoulder and saying, would you like to do this job? And, and all sorts of other, your ego kicks in or other things in your life kick in. You still have to work out whether it's the best thing for you. Mm. And your purpose thing will sit somewhere about 
you know, the meaning in the work, the sense of connection, the sense of belonging, those, those types of things. And I was fortunate because football clubs have got oodles of that stuff. You know, they've got lots of belonging, lots of connection, and I found definitely meaning in, in the stuff as well. So in, in regard to that, just try, try and move beyond your to-do list, which by definition requires you to become the, the one competency that people totally underestimate from a leadership perspective is how they become good at reflection. And the reflection is because, because now we, we can't be one-trick pony leaders anymore. We can't have one means of leading and expect that we're going to be able to lead that way for the next 25 years. It's, it's going to have... You know, what, what I love about Alistair Clarkson as a coach of Hawthorne is that he's actually reinvented himself about five times in his 15 years of coaching. Mm. And because of that, he's maintained a very contemporary way of thinking because at, at his absolute fundamental, if someone said, what is Alistair Clarkson's great attribute? I said, he is an unbelievable learner. But what makes him a great learner is he's prepared to unlearn. You know, He's actually prepared to put himself into places where he will break down some of the things which, in fact, he others may attribute to his great success to say, well, they're not going to carry me forward anymore. Mm. And I just do that. And I love the book Cal, uh, Deep Work by Cal Newport where he talks very much about the process of a, of a reflective practice. But you also have to build for yourself a very strong habit-based way of, of developing it. And there's lots of ways you can develop habits, but your learning habit has to be very deliberate. You know, you, you set aside you know, two and three and four hours a week exclusively for your process of reflection and nothing gets in the road of it. And I can't think of any other way of reflecting in my mind uh, once you've actually studied what you want to know, you've learned what you want to know, is to actually write about it. You know, spend, just hit the pad and pencil and pen and whatever and just write for the next three hours. Mm. And it's amazing the little bits of wisdom that just pop out for you and it's your own learning based on someone else's experience. You just get this circular part of it. And I, I discovered this by accident because I was CEO of Fremantle Footy Club and I was travelling to Melbourne probably every second week for much of that period, which is a long flight. It's about four hours. Mm. So I had four hours. This is pre-Wi-Fi on planes, pre-anything. You know, I might have had an, an iPod and my music, which is all cool. I, I still have headphones on when I write and do stuff now. That you had this time to your own. And, that, and I found I, well, I, was, I wasn't necessarily looking forward to the travel, but I looked forward to the flight. You know? mm. And I'd actually even make sure that I'd eaten before I got on, but so I didn't have to distribute. So they did become four hours of, of me cocooned with just a, um, a notebook and a, uh, and a pen. And, and I would say, and then I lost that practice and it took me probably two or three years to work out what was different in my life. And I realized that something that had been forced upon me was in fact the most significant thing that I was doing uh, in my life as it related to my family and my work and everything. And, uh, and I'd let it go. So I now yeah. do that as part of my, I, and I just, I diarize deep work. It's in my diary Fridays. I don't, mm. I don't take meetings on Fridays. That's just mm. how it is. Yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. Fantastic advice. I would, I would add one little one in there as well is ask yourself some questions and ask yourself a lot of questions. I like to do that in myself. And I was lucky enough earlier in the week to interview Grant Cardone and he has this thing called the 10 X rule. And mm-hmm. essentially the 10 X rule is, if you take whatever target that you've got or whatever thing that you're aiming for and times it by 10, you know, you, you, you're forced to ask yourself a different set of questions. You know, if my sales target each week is to hit up against 20 new sales, what would I need to do to hit up against 200 new sales? Well, I'd have to, I have to think differently to get there. And I, I love the idea of asking 
questions of myself and then asking my team of people that are within my organization to ask themselves those questions as well. And it's not about 10Xing. It's not about making it bigger, but try and think of things that take you outside of the, the process that you're in because usually life is pretty linear. Life is pretty automated and pretty easy, but unless you, as you say, stop to do that deep work and those, and that reflection and have that, the ability to have the introspection about lessons learned, but then be able to project that forward into the future as well. No, very, and, I, and I like that because what it's done is just changed the context. So whether it's um, 10X or because basically what he's saying there is that it's changed the to be, if you like, you know, the to be, you know, so, so if I'm going to be 10 times what I am now, I'm going to have to change my to know. I'm going to have to learn some stuff yeah. here to yeah. be that. Yeah. And, and, I'm, and by the way, I'm sure the solution's not in my inbox, even though that keeps dragging me back. Like, you know, it's, it's going to keep, beeping at me and notifying me and telling me. And, and if someone sends me an email, I always say to people, well, whose time frame are they working on? Are they working on yours or, or theirs? You know, mm. it's, and it's, there's all this, because we live in an attention economy now, there's, there's, there's never been, it's, deep work's never been harder, but it's never been more valuable either. So, because it used to just happen. If you were looking over your flock, you know, you, you know, I'm sure there was a fair bit of reflection going on there, you know. So it's actually been a, a, a last 300 years of life thing and we just keep making it worse and harder. But on, on the question thing, I, I really like that. And, and so the, the three questions that I say in, my de- in, in when I'm doing the deep work, it, it boils down to these things. It goes, I, I say, what does the role expect of me? So just answer, you know, what does the role ex- itself expect of me? And that's both your, you know, it comes in as a, you know, your technical capability as, as well as obviously what it expects of you as a leader. But go deep on it. You know, don't, don't go obvious. The next one is what do I expect of the role? And, and if there's an incongruency between what the role needs of you and what you want of it, well, you know, maybe that's not the right job for you. Mm. And Disney have a saying that when they employ people who just don't fit within their culture, they, they sit them down and say, it might be time for you to find your happiness elsewhere is their, you know, is their, their terminology. And, and I get that because they, they're not going to find it in that environment. Mm. And the final one is um, what do I expect of myself? Because if the, if the role is just expecting you just to go harder, 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 and it's costing you other critical elements of who you are, if you've become unhealthy, if you, you know, your, your mental health, you know, um, got, you got you into a dark place, you haven't, you know, you've, built, you've destroyed your relationship with your children, whatever, whatever it might be, well, you'd want to actually be on top of that. <laughs> and often those things are happening, and in my experience, they were happening at times where it was bit by bit by bit, and I just let little pieces go, let little pieces go. And then I got myself into a really unhealthy place, like, like unhealthy in a way where almost unrecognisable to myself, uh, both in my reflections now, but also even as it related to my ambitions at the time. And uh, and so those three questions, what what does the role expect of me? What do I expect of the role? What do I expect of uh, the core of those? And I, and I don't think you need to do that every week. That's a, like a three-hour, every three-month type exercise. And mm. uh, But it's just a... Um, and you've got to do it afresh each time. Don't look at the last time you did it uh, because it, it's whatever's going through your head at that time. Mm. Yeah, I think what you're describing there is, is, a, is a level of personal leadership. You know, you, if you're in a leadership role yourself and you're responsible yeah, for it. I think about it. I've never thought of it like that, but it is. It's a, it's a personal leadership thing, isn't it? Yeah. Mm, absolutely. I, I, one thing that is really hard about being a leader, I've never been in a circumstance like you have with, uh, where it's very public. Because what you've got is you've got a football team and you've got all of these 
these people and the hopes and dreams of the fans behind yeah. you wanting to win. Yeah. And, and you've got all the same hopes and dreams, right? You've wanted yeah, to be no, successful no, definitely, definitely. To, to win as well, right? But, and when you win, it's like awesome. You know? and, and I've had wins in business before and I've had wins in my personal life, like everybody. You know? It's part of the human experience. But we've also had failures. But the failures that, that happen for somebody in a sports arena or in something that's more public, so to speak, are just amplified because everybody's got an opinion and everybody's got a, a view on that. Leadership is not easy and running organizations, whatever they are, where there's people involved and there's people's lives involved is difficult. I always say the most empowering thing I can do as an entrepreneur is give another person a job. And there's, there's nothing more satisfying for me than being able to employ somebody who becomes part of my little family, part of the goal in crew. I, I, I love that. I, I love the people that work with me and, and I don't say that they work for me, even though they work within the organization. It's a, it's a business, you know, I see them as equals and I, I like to think that I've got enough experience to have fostered relationships. And from time to time, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not perfect. My, my leadership style is certainly maybe a little bit different, maybe a bit bit blunt it's the the infantry guy in me that kind of makes it a little bit blunt in those yeah, expectations yeah, of you know here are the orders go type thing they're not sort of repeated and i get a bit frustrated and i know i need to work on certain things and from time to time i fail and you know failure is public within a company when you make a decision to do something and it doesn't go right and sometimes it costs you money and things are not right how have you in your career, you mentioned earlier on in the podcast there that you'd been sacked a couple of times. How yeah. did you handle failure from a leadership perspective? I'd like to think I, have, I handled it better as I went. Um, the, the interesting thing is that the, because you, your failures are relatively public, they then get, you get defined as that, but they, they weren't necessarily the ones I defined myself as. I, I knew there were, there were things that I fundamentally failed at, which perhaps I, only I know. Yeah, where I, where I, because I only I knew the choices I had at that time. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I get the fact that you fail because you're faced with fifty fifty decisions and you made the wrong choice. You know, mm. you know, I've appointed coaches who didn't do well. You know, and but you know, I, I and that was coming out of what I would consider you know relatively structured, well organised recruitment processes, but the coaches didn't achieve what we, our expectations were of them when they came into those roles. Um, and there's often circumstances. So that, so therefore people might say, oh, you know, Cameron mucked up that coach appointment. Well, perhaps I did. And you get defined by that. But I can say that that wasn't nearly as bad as the ones where I knew that I wasn't facing up to ones where I should have <laughs> in my own time, yeah. where I knew I had a choice to step into a situation and I didn't because I didn't have the courage at the time or I allowed my ego to take control and I started being selfish about a circumstance where, you know, or that I was fearful and I started practising the art of survival rather than what was actually good for the organisation, mm. you know, or I was angry and I just, uh, and I had the shits and I took it out on someone other who didn't deserve it. But they, they were the failures. Mm. And I could say that I could, I could, if someone asked me to, if I, if I went into my repressed memory, if you like, I could list a heap of them, yeah. of which no one would have any idea about. Mm. And because they don't know the choices that I had in my mind at that time. And so, therefore, you can judge yourself relatively harshly. But I almost look at that, it's a big word, shame, but almost a sense of shame where when I let anger, fear, ego, uh, lack of courage to influence my decision-making, they're, they're the times. But people will actually, the things you'll be remembered for is when you actually made choices which didn't work out. 
you know, as in you selected the wrong person or you nominated the wrong player in the draft or whatever it might be. They're, they're technical choices. It was the character type choices that I, I remember. And, and, and also what I've learned is that they're skills that you have to practice as well. If, you, if you're expecting just to show courage in the moment because you think you can, you can screw the guts up, well, you're kidding yourself. And, and coming from a military background, you, you train and train and train and train, so less courage is actually required, yes. you know, yeah. because if you have to make that choice now, you would never make that choice But because you've trained for it and you've got the belief in yourself and the belief in your, you know, your teammates and the people in your squadron, whatever it might be, platoon, it just ends up being that's what you do. And that's why that's where heroism comes from. But they're actually they're trained for heroics, you know. And I, and I often, you know, courage, courage, and high performance happens in the moment, very much in the moment. But it's it's all the things that lead up to that moment which is are important. And and they're often in your own silences, and they're in your own little pieces of work that you're doing. Yeah, I think I think the the ability to be introspective about it and not be too harsh on yourself is really critical as well. I think that's yeah, I part. No of, I was no good at that. I've got to say that. that's something. I reckon that that penny's still to drop. You know, oh, I, mean, really? look, I think yeah. I think we all have expectations, and mm. um, and you know, even even now, you just you know, you yeah, people always say, you know, what well, is it? Just um, perfection's not the you know, get it out there before. But I, there's still a little part of me which says, no, no, this has got to be right before I'm putting <laughs> it out to the market. <laughs> there is that sure. to it, yeah. And I think probably being an artist helped that a lot. Where you just, you know, if someone doesn't like your art, they don't like your art. You know, it's not. If it's, often people don't like you because they didn't get whatever your intent was, well, okay, that's fine. That's just. Mm. People go through the they don't like a Picasso. Well, I can say a few people probably think it's not a bad painting. You know, mm. I don't like the latest song by a band who they loved. You know, I often think about that with Rolling Stones. You know, and they, Mick Jagger must get sick of singing Satisfaction, doesn't he? You know, like, but, you know, <laughs> and not. then they'll <laughs> they just keep dragging it out. And and but you also see them producing new stuff. They still do it. You know, they still create. You know, because they know that's where the energy probably for the they can only sing satisfaction if they've got the background because they've got still the love of creativity. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's well said. I, I often look back at uh, the the reflection and the introspection that I have. I look back at the bad decisions that I've made and I, the way I, I, I guess I rationalize it is I made that decision based on the information that I had at the time. But then when you unpick that and go, well, the information I had was pretty lean that was a pretty yeah. decision. You shouldn't shouldn't have done that. And well, there's no winners or losers. There's just learners. When you be introspective like that, it's kind of it's a it's a bit of a fun process to do if you if you just take the pressure off yourself and don't kind of you know we're not solving cancer here type thing. It's not such a big deal, right? No, no, it's not. But it, but for everyone involved, the stakes are high, aren't they? Like if, yeah, but, if yeah. you um you know if, if yeah you know, say say sport well sport is sport. But I think, you know, I woke up this morning, I didn't watch the Ashes, but, gee, I was disappointed you know, when, when they fell. I was fell, you know. when I was in the gym watching, we lost by a wicket. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you just look at that and you go, okay, well, there's a bit at stake there. And that, that will be one of those games where there's um, such detailed analysis and it will all be based on people's decision-making in the moment, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, and these guys are unbelievably well-prepared for that moment. But it, it's called high performance for a reason, you know, that yeah. it's actually, it's going to, it's never going to be, it's always going to be testing. And, and every so often you just see someone who is just in a rare, you know, rich vein of form, you know, like we saw with Stephen Smith, you know, in the, the previous two tests mm. and we just go, don't they make the game look easy? And then, you know, when I was a kid growing up, you know, wonderful batsman, Greg Chapel, you know, I think he made five or six ducks in a row, you know, and it actually became 
became like a national drama, you know, that um, the whole world was watching him and he, you know, and, and as he continued to fail, it was just like an unbelievable thing that this guy could not hit the ball, you know. It was, it become, and like, I remember it was like a front page of the Herald Sun or the Sun, whatever it was, it was zero, 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 you know, however many zeros there was as he came in. And I heard him talk about it, you know, a few years ago. And it comes back to, you know, the noise and all that. He said, I realised I wasn't watching the ball leave the bowler's hand. I was waiting for the ball to hit the pitch. Right. And he said, it's the only time I've ever batted that way. I, I, I'd never batted like that when I was a kid. You know, I always watched them. There was just something, in, whether it was nerves or lack of technique, whether it was loss of confidence, whether it was probably all of those things combined, which actually meant that technically he wasn't doing something that he'd always done. So he's a guy who'd made the game look easy and then the game reminded him of just how hard it is. Mm. And uh, and that's that's probably my experience with leadership. And, you know, people often talk about the imposter syndrome and all that as though it's a thing. Well, the reason it's a thing is because we're always doing jobs which are actually hard. And so if we're always doing a job which is hard, well, it's very easy to actually feel like you're not up for it. And therefore, you know, the imposter is actually an outcome. It's not it's not a reason in itself, you know. It's, um, you know, we're... we're you're faced into situations where you go, oh, bugger if I know what we do here. You know, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm probably having. A, do I use my intuition? Do I use more facts? Do I dig deeper? Do I ask more people? You know, bugger if I know. But I'm at some stage, I'm going to have to make a call. You know, and do our best. Mm, yeah, well said, well said, uh, Cam. You've you've had probably more experience than most working in a team environment and there's a little bit of a pun there and it's deliberate working with football teams and working with teams of executives in a game that's so endearing and so loved and so damn important. You know, it is very important. Sport yeah, is, I think, sport I think is it was Bill Shanky said that, uh, you know, uh, it's not life and death. It's far more important than that or something like that. I think there's some terms like that. Yeah. And, and for the people that don't know AFL, think of the sport that you love so much. And, you know, sport is a, is a critical element of our society but working in a in a team environment is hard you know i've, I've got a different experience of working in team environments uh, in the navy and in the army and in my own businesses and working for other people and stuff and and your experience has been yours of course what's maybe one or two really maybe fun takeaways that you can remember like what a i mean you have ups and downs in any job or any role that you're in but as can you remember a couple of really big highs that stand out in your career working with teams Oh, probably a lot, really. That there, I think um, really early days it was, and this still stays with me, in, in a long time ago now. God, I'm getting old. 1987, um, Melbourne made the finals for the first time in 23 years, and I was 23. And we, we a whole lot of things had to happen in the last round where this team had to beat that team, we had to beat someone. And all of the things happened that were supposed to happen, you know, basically. All these freaky things happened. Mm-hmm. And Melbourne found its way into the finals. And Melbourne had a champion player by the name of Robbie Flower who'd, play, who'd never played in a final in his entire career. So he's, he's playing in the finals for the very first time in about his 260th game. And ran out on the MCG. And I'd been in the change rooms prior to the game. And we had a lot of injuries coming into the game. And we didn't expect to do well in the finals. We just snuck in. And I didn't know how big the crowd was at the MCG because I was in the change rooms. And I came out and there's like 80,000 people at the MCG watching. And these are, a whole lot of them are watching Melbourne play in the finals for the first time in their lives. You know, yeah, it's been such a long time, right? It's yeah. a long time, yeah. yeah. And Melbourne up until that period of time were the great club. They won six of the previous 10 premierships. Not only 64, they win the premiership. Then don't even make the finals ever again. So that's how big it was. Yeah. And I'm up there and I get in my seat and I look around and I see this sea of red and blue 
And it just hit me that I thought, gee, I've played a role in this. And it was the first time. And, and, and I, I sort of, and I, and I couldn't even share it with anyone really, you know, because it would look like a wanker. But I, 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 I knew just something in me said that this wouldn't be happening had it not been for that drive I took up to Horsham to recruit that player who's now running around on the MCG or to go over to Tassie and, you know, when I was buggered and just watch that extra player or make that effort to go in, you know, meet the family of that young player in South Australia or you know, it just might have been the tipping point for him to choose, you know, to come to our club. And so that was a wonderful experience. And, and so I got to share my little piece of that with, you know, 80,000 people at the game, but however many hundreds of thousands of people that would still remember that. And we mm. ended up winning the game. We thrashed North Melbourne in this game and no one could believe it. And then we uh, won the next week, thrashed the Swans. And then all of a sudden we're in a preliminary final and it's a famous, famous game where we were in front right to the end of the game and, and an Irishman who we played with recruited from Ireland, a guy named Jim Steins, ran across the mark and created a penalty and we lost the game after the siren. And he was then remembered for that for the rest of his life. But he ended up being just a champion, champion player and a wonderful person who was actually president of Melbourne and, and recruited me back to the club and, but died of cancer in his 40s, you know, so tragic story in the end. So those are the, the team. So even so out of that comes the rest of the story probably as well. But, you know, out of that moment, it's then a group of people who shared something special together and able to share that for life beyond that. So that, that's a long time ago, but I, I would say I, I can remember sitting in my car after we got beaten in that preliminary final and I couldn't stop crying. <laughs> I, I seriously couldn't stop sucking mm. because I thought this was our chance, you know, and it was just all these freaky circumstances which got us into the game, but then, you know, the, the sporting gods then turned it the other way and, um, and, and I just... And, I, and, and it's become one of those folklore moments in Australian sport of which I know I played a little wee role in, you know, along the way. So that's well, probably that's, one which... That's what happens when you go all in, right? You give your... You go all in, all yeah, yeah. No, you end up sucking. Yeah. You do have your quiet moments and, and often they're... Um, yeah, but, and, but David Parkin, the great coach, he always said that there's... Um, you know, for every lick of the ice cream, there's a hundred kicks in the bum. You know, so, and 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 it, it, is, it is very much in the moment stuff. There, there was like I was at Fremantle when they made the finals for the first time ever. They'd never made the finals before. You know, and you know these these are things that you just go, you know, that that's a little piece of history, and and, and it moves on because it has to. But but it's it's our own little piece of it. And it's interesting now because I'm in my fifties. That some of the I now know the you know I've got to see the lives that a lot of those people then lead as they they move beyond. And a lot of it been easy for a lot of for for many of them. You know they whenever we come together for any reason, and, and sadly it's often at you know when you know, Robbie Flower passed away as a young man, he's still in his fifties. And when we do come together, they're the things which we um, they're the powerful reflections. You know they're 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 like the you know, without wanting to dilute it, they're like the birth of your kids type reflections. You know that you sh- we worked really hard to create something which we then got to share and that stuff stays with you forever. And, and, and people often ask me, do I, what do I miss about the game? Well, this is, this is what I miss. I, I don't miss all the other bullshit. I, I miss <laughs> the prospect of being a part of something which forms and forges its own little piece of history and, and all you want to be is actually a role player within that. You don't want to be... You know, you don't have to be the CEO. You don't have to be that. You know, that it, it's just you want to play your role. And and you, you asked me before, and I, I thought about this. I wasn't sure exactly how I was going to answer, it, but this team-based stuff is that 
when you get recruited into a team, it, it's it's very much on what you can bring to the team. So if you, I bring these attributes, these capabilities, this experience, this expertise, but that only gets you into the team because ultimately to survive in good teams, teams which actually set expectations of each other, it's what you're prepared to do for the team which keeps you in the team. Mm. And so you, you get into the team on what you bring, but you survive and bring value to the team on what you're prepared to do for the team, you know. So I often ask those questions even of leaders that, um, okay, what is it that you bring to the team and now tell me what you're prepared to do for the team. Mm. And it's a good one just to throw into your team-based in discussions at different times. Just ask one person per meeting to, to give their take on that because you actually get to put out there what they're, which, which part of them they're, they're able to sacrifice. And you would have seen this in the military before is that some people are better at some stuff than other people, but they never get to do it because they just happen to be second in line or that someone else is doing that job and that's how it is. Yeah, you're quite right though I love the idea of what is it that you bring I remember when I first joined my very first infantry unit and you joined the unit and they had a cohesive bunch of guys they're already operating and yeah. suddenly they're slowed down by a new guy and everything oh, you. <laughs> and it's yeah. because of you and it's like yeah. I, yeah. I thought I knew some stuff like I'd been trained and that and they're kind of like well everything you learned that's good and that forms the foundation of it. Don't forget it. It's very important. But here we do things like this. And yes. it takes you time to get on board with that. And, and I can remember really clearly thinking, well, I'm not going to be the reason that this unit slows down. I'm not going to be the reason that we go any slower. I'll make sure that I, I live up to the expectation and do the yeah. extra work that I have to do to get there. And that, I remember that there was a kind of an empowering feeling to be able to feel like that because it levels you up and it forces you to level up. Yeah, no, it would, and 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 also one one it's the, the the sort of the contradiction and complexity of of any form of high performance is that mix of collegiality and accountability. You know mm-hmm. that we want we want everyone to like each other and have that beautiful collegiality which comes with just you know, groups of people you know working together. But you don't have genuine collegiality unless you've got accountability for some form of performance you know and and in that case the performance is obviously there there is certain expectations coming in but then the group itself establishes it of each other and and if your 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 reflections now are powerful as it relates to that collegiality because you probably feel in your own mind you met those expectations you know Mm -hmm. that that if we if we put you all in a room again tomorrow you'd you'd share in that you know and that's, yeah, so people often say, oh, we want to get, you know, we want to improve the morale. Let's go and play paintball. I go, well, can you actually try and achieve something together? That's, that's, that's the best thing to, yeah. to improve morale is, you know, even if it's not, you know, it's, you know, I get the chance, you know, you got to take the pressure off a little bit, go and have a beer down the pub or whatever you think is the right thing to do at that time. But really, even if it's not a big thing, just, just trying to achieve something together and a sense of progress is still a critical motivator for people. If they, if they feel as though they're making no progress against, you know, some goals and some objectives, which they've been set for them or they've set for themselves, that, that kills motivation more than anything. Yeah, beautifully said. Beautifully said. Well, Cameron, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Goal in podcast. Thank you. And, Thanks for the opportunity. And, and to share some of your wisdom and your insights there on leadership and team building and, and the important sporting culture that we have here in Australia. I can't let you go before I put you in the podcaster's hot seat. It's a couple of quick rapid fire questions, a little bit random. Cool. I'm after it. Do I have to press a button or anything? No, no, no buzzer. No buzzer. You've been lucky enough to, uh, to work with a lot of different organizations and you get to travel a little bit in, in the role that you've got now with your business. What's the best holiday destination that you've, best holiday. You've found? Oh, um, 
No, very bit. Look, I love going to New York, I must admit, although Trumpy's sort of taken the edge off it a bit for me. Um, the, uh, the, no, I, I just, there's something about special about being in New York. Uh, but I think really wonderful cities still for me. And, and, I, and, I, and I cycle a bit, so I, I do like you know, uh, getting climbing up a hill and enjoying the view and all that type of thing. But there's, I still think it's the energy and the vibe of being in the great cities, you know. Uh, and, and, look, there's a lot of... Some of the cities you go to and you're just overwhelmed by the tourism tourists, of which you're one of them. So there's always a contradiction in that. But New York, you, 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 there's that, but there's everything else going on at the same time. So I love, I love New York, and, uh, and I've had, you know, been able to go there and went to the draft there a few years ago, and and so I've seen it from a workplace perspective as well, and awesome. um, I love that. But I also I got to spend a bit of time in. Um, Liverpool, actually, and this sounds crazy, but I, I love the Beatles. You know, I always yeah. love the Beatles, yeah. and um, and I got to spend time at Liverpool and Everton. So the two, the two opposing uh, clubs, and um, and seeing just two uh, these fierce rifles, but just in the same city, and and it, it felt a little bit like home, you know, for me. But it's coming, you know, from the first time I heard music, and uh, in a way where I thought, gee, that's. That's interesting. You know, not, not that I just love the beat or love the noise or love the whatever, but, you know, when I, you know, Sgt. Peppers and, you know, those mm. Abbey Road and those sorts of albums um, for me Iconic. have been sort of time, timeless parts of my, my life to say it again. I love a creative backstory and to actually try and feel as though you're where that backstory happened and, again, use the word osmosis and hopefully a bit of it osmosis is into you. Yeah. Rubs off on you a little bit, beautifully said. Yeah. Cameron, do you have a, uh, do you have a favourite author? Favorite author traditionally uh, was John Steinbeck, and uh, I. Uh, it was the, the book you, you're asked to read when you're a kid, and you, you and you think, oh, I don't want to read that book because you've been told to read it at school, and then it, you, and you loved it. Of Mice and Men was the, and I think it was the first time I cried reading a book, you know, and and so I then followed and read most of oh every part of Steinbeck that I, I can find, and and that then introduced me to you know, writers like Hemingway, and and I've all, also. Um, even when I do my programs now, I do courses. The book that people I give people is not, um, you know, I give them, you know, I've got, done some of my own work in regards to this, but you know, other wonderful authors as well. But I actually give Old Man and the Sea by Ernest Hemingway as, mm-hmm. as the book. And, um, and, I, and I read the book again when I was a kid and I had a certain take on it. I, there's, a, there's a boy in the book, so I think I probably related to the boy. And they catch this marlin, this huge, he, or the, the old man catches this huge fish. And I reckon at one stage I related to the fish because it's a bit of a feeding frenzy with the fish, you know, so I felt like you were just that vulnerability, if you like. And, and, I, and I read it during my 20s um, because it happened to be at the house that I stayed in during my 20s when I was going, going holidays at the end of the year. And I probably read it, you know, at least half a dozen times. And every time I, I found I read the book, it changed. And, and then <laughs> I read it most recently that it, and it changed again and I felt that I related to the old man. So, so it's a... And it's actually a really good audible because uh, Donald Sutherland's narrating it, and it's only about a hundred pages the book, and it's just a beautiful book. And and from my and I've done a bit of research on it, and from what I understand is that for every page which ended up in the book, there's five pages that didn't. So it benefits from that, you know, that that wonderful, you know, editing, if you like. And um, yeah, so it's a beautiful book. Very nice, very nice. I, I've just been reading a whole series of war books and it's like constantly yeah, yeah. war book. I think I need to get on the other side of the equation yeah, and yeah. balance it up with a bit of bit of culture and a bit of uh, different literature, not war stories constantly. Tell me, Cameron. A lot of Hemingway, Hemingway's a lot about war too, of course. You know, So yeah. there's a lot of his books are, yeah. So there's a, there's a wonderful book which I've read most recently which I, I really uh, is just beautifully practical is Atomic Habits by James Clear. 
That's a great. That is just outstanding. Yeah, yeah. the focus is not just on the habits, but the need for identity and um, mm. and do you see yourself as that? And and I, I found that with art. You know, I, I took a long time to say I do art as compared to I'm an artist. You know, mm. so so I really related to that you know, identity. And I think leaders actually really struggle with their identity as leaders as much as they do with their leadership habits. And and what we talked about before in terms of the setting aside time to affect their leader. Absolutely. Tell me, mate, what's a, uh, what's a skill that you haven't yet mastered? Skill that I haven't le- that I'd like to master? Um, I've probably given up on it because I'm not a natural, but I, I reckon I put, spent more time doing it than, um, than my, my current proficiency would actually um, exhibit. Is I've played a lot of guitar, and, um, and, in, and if I get a real good run of practice in it, I, I can every so often I surprise myself by how, how it sounds. I do mainly my own writing, and, and, uh, but I, there's something special about the... Um, uh, a beautifully, you know, I've been pretty good at buying them and been better at buying them. So I've got some nice guitars, but <laughs> I've got this Martin guitar and, it, and um, I restring it and I play it and I then get a run on it and I then find myself playing it a lot. And that, that's the same as, that has the same impact as, but it's probably a little bit less natural. So I, I, I'm, I'm, there's more struggle, there's more productive struggle in it <laughs> uh, than, uh, than there is in other things that, I enjoy, I like writing and I like drawing and these things, but that's probably come a little bit uh, more naturally to me. Mm-hmm. So if someone was just going to gift me with a, um, just a, I reckon I only need about another 5% of naturalness with it and it might just come an easy and enough for me to actually do it more often and yeah, get more from it. Working for that 5% might equal yeah. another thousand hours. It could, yeah. That's the danger of course, yeah, because um, yeah. You can do a lot with a thousand hours. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Last, uh, last one for the hot seat. What's the best piece of business advice that you've ever received? Best piece of business advice. Um, gee, there's a lot. Best piece of business advice. I'd probably still come back to the uh, response to failure. I'd probably reflect reflect on that. That, um, and we're pretty hard on people who have who have failed. But, but I. I'm being interviewed by you as a product of my failures, if you like. It <laughs> things are stuffed up. <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, even, even in that, that and, and probably, and I, and I had a, you know, even probably that little bit of advice I talked about earlier with my dad, that's got to be right up there, doesn't it? You know, that, you know, to actually, I was just prepared to let that job go and maybe I should have, I don't know. But for him to give me the context that he did, that this is something you can do, but it won't be easy. Mm. And it's going to just always it's going to demand things of you that that you know you're not going to feel equipped for at different times, and that's okay. And so whether that's business advice or or um, it's a metaphor for life. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I and I lost my dad young, so so I, I, there might be a little bit of bit of romance in all of that. Mm. I lost my dad when we still had a lot of talking to do, you know, and 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 every so often I'll look down because my dad was you know, four or five years younger than than I am now when he died. And every time when I look down at my hands, I think, shit, I've got my dad's hands, you know. And mm. we weren't physically alike, but I, I just looked down and I go, and there was still, we still had a lot of talking to do. And, and I, I started writing down at one stage the conversations we never got to have. And so therefore I reflect pretty strongly on the ones that we, that have stayed with me and and maybe I've amplified them. I've, you know, I've, I've hit a big power cord at Madison Square Garden with them, or something like that at the start, you know. But it's uh, they're the ones that I that I stay with. And, and my mum has a massive. My mum's an artist, so you know she's and she was very much into 
doing what's right, even when it's hard, you know, that's, that's probably the things. And so even, even as I mentioned before, there's times where I know I didn't do that, you know, that I, I didn't do the right thing when it was hard at different times. And I probably got away with most of them, but I didn't, I didn't get away with it myself. You know, I still reflect on them. Yeah. Yeah. Well said, beautifully said. Well, if people wanted to connect with you, Cam, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, my business is called Design CEO. So just one word. I just love the idea of designing a a, um, a career for yourself in some ways, and that's what I had to do post the game. And and so I'm just a Cameron at designceo.com.au. But I've, I've got a website which has got a heap of stuff on it. So it's a um, it's a, I put a lot of video, I put a lot of writing, and I want it to be a bit of a source for people as well. That that wasn't initially the intent when I started, but I found that it's become that. <laughs> I think I just set it up initially so people could find you, but. But now I'm using it hopefully as a um, as a bit of a learning tool for people that they might be able to spend a bit of time just reading stuff which is on it, watching videos, or you know I'll, I'll post this podcast on it if that's okay, you know. So yeah, so it then becomes something which becomes a resource for people. Absolutely. So that's yeah. where I'm, I'm at. And by LinkedIn, I'm, I've got a I put a lot of stuff up on LinkedIn. I'm always you know pretty full on with that. And again, it comes from a place of hopefully generosity where where you're putting stuff out there which has very much a teacher element, learning element to it, and. Uh, that's one of my probably my reflections as a, as a leader is I should have spent more time teaching, less time counting. I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. If you're watching this podcast, just take or you're listening to this podcast rather, just take a little peek at your phone and the links to Cameron's website and his LinkedIn will be right there, so you don't have to go digging around in Google for them. And if you're watching this video on Facebook or YouTube, just scroll on down and the links are right there in the show notes. And if you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and ring the bell that way you'll never miss an episode of the goal in show cameron thank you again mate for coming on the show it's been an absolute pleasure to spend an hour with you here have you got a parting comment a parting shot for us before i let you go no probably not i just uh the you know the uh the leaders they need to honor the role you know and the and honoring the role means it's not about them you know and i oh, actually no i'll go i've got a line my one of my favorites is a uh, little daily start for anyone who's a leader just uh, do you believe in your people and do they believe in you you know it's just a nice little check-in and uh, I've always liked that, that line. Yeah. Very nice. That can be the quote for the show. I love it. Okay, cool. All right. Thanks again, mate. We'll see you soon. Bye for now. Good chatting. Thank you. Well, there you have it, folks. What a great show. I didn't want it to end, but I have had some feedback saying, can you keep the episodes under 90 minutes? So we did that. If you want to connect with Cam, make sure you just take a little peek at your phone and you'll see all of the links to his website and his socials right there. So you're not going to have to go digging around for them in Google. And if you're watching this video on Facebook or YouTube, just scroll down and the links are right there in the description as well. I'd really encourage you to visit his website. He's got some really cool videos videos and some great stuff there. And it's not just a, an advertisement of his business or anything like that. It's, there's a real um, treasure trove of resource in there. And I know that you're going to be drawn into some of the videos he's got in there as well. So make sure you check out that website and, and pop over and connect with him on LinkedIn as well. Now, if you like what you heard today, I'd really appreciate a review. So just pop open the app that you're listening on. And if you could leave a review there, that helps the show out a whole boatload as well. And as always, I'd love it if you could share this show with a couple of people that you'll think get, will get some benefit from it. All right. If you've got a question or a comment or even just some feedback, you can reach out via the Goal In socials or you can send me an email at any time. Just visit goallin.com.au for more information. Well, that wraps it up for the show today. So 
whatever it is that you're working on, whatever you're doing, get busy, get to it, and go all in. I'll see you next time.